Welcome to the Gift of Wealth podcast series. If you've ever wanted to take a substantial step forward in your life, then you've found the right show. Together, we'll go through health, wealth, relationships, business, and spirituality. We connect to the heart of what matters most, which of course is your heart. Heart is the driving force behind mindset. Your mindset is the driving force behind actions, and your actions define your results. The Gift of Wealth podcast with your hosts, Sunil and Geeta Popat. Impacting hearts live in three, two. Hi, my name's Sunil from The Gift of Wealth, and I've got really, really excited and great pleasure to invite Matt Baker to join me today to speak about creating wealth and how he's created a tremendous amount of wealth and adding value, sharing his knowledge in the space of HMOs and co-living. Matt, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sunil. I'm very well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you for joining me. I'm really excited. I'm looking to get lots of tips from you in terms of how you created wealth. Before we go into that, for our listeners, do you want to tell us about yourself and how at an early childhood you came into the beliefs around money and creating wealth? Yeah, okay. So as a child, I... Yeah, I wasn't born into a wealthy family, Nate. So something which uh, we, we were well off, but not wealthy, wealthy. And there were, I think, beliefs around money were it was something to be earned and then to be spent. So my parents, for example, never really saved. What they wanted really was the best for us. So myself and my sister, we went to private school. You know, my parents both had pretty good jobs mum in the NHS management, my dad in engineering. So, you know, there was there was money around. It was kind of there was nothing that was ever you know, never kind of too much trouble to do, but it was all kind of the the big family holidays. We you know, going to Florida, Walt Disney and when we were teenagers, but kind of in, I suppose earlier than that, it was all more the kind of Euro camp and and yeah, my my parents just wanted wanted the best for us, which I think was if you go back a bit further, my grandparents' beliefs around money was that there's kind of never enough. And kind of they still have those beliefs to this day. You know, you love them to bits, but you know, their you know, their beliefs around money is very much that there's kind of it's a scarcity rather than an abundance. And I always remember this story that my mum would tell me about my grandma. So when my mum was younger, she would go and get the groceries from the from the green grocer down down in the village and one day she came back with a bag of potatoes and my, my grandma went and scrubbed all the potatoes and all the mud came off and collected all the mud gave it to my mom and said go back to the green grocers and get a refund on the weight of that mud so she's a York, yorkshire lady so very thrifty but also that kind of gives you an insight into you know kind of the, the beliefs around money and i think that my mum always she, she kind of took that and went actually I'm gonna you know she went into medicine she had the opportunity to go into medicine you know back in the back in the kind of 70s and 80s um because of you know grants from the government and you know she wouldn't have been able to do that without kind of a bit of social mobility and then thought actually I'm gonna give back to my my kids and make sure they have everything they need and basically that's that was it it was all about the here and now it wasn't really about the future you know they bought and sold property all at the wrong time because whenever they had to move it was because my dad lost his job as an engineer so it was pretty much every crash so they're always moving at the bottom of the market so never made a lot of property wealth and it was something which yeah that 
mindset obviously comes through into myself my sister and it's something that I have to kind of fight quite hard to make sure that we don't fall into similar traps so saving is something which I was never taught to do and so so something which I if there's money in the account I I find a way to spend it (laughs) so so it's about putting in systems and processes to make sure that there's not enough money in that account so you just move money moving money around making money untouchable putting it into property putting it into you know shares you can't just get it into ISAs into pensions and just being you know building wealth in a way which means that your if your innate habit is to spend money which you know I do have a habit of spending money but I, I kind of think well let's just do it but you always find a way. So if you don't have enough money, you just don't spend it. Uh, you always find a way to make things through. So yeah, wealth, again, is not just about money because we had an amazing childhood and yeah, amazing opportunities. But I say that there wasn't that much thought for the future. But it's interesting, Matt, that you've identified that already to say from your grandparents or from your grandmother, that belief was passed down. And it's really, how have you put the systems in? Because you've identified that this happens and that there's a scarcity mindset, which most people don't even realise. Can you remember how you realised it? That's what I'm trying to get to. And then... I think it was through, so so all through my 20s, I was a musician, self-employed musician. So I've run my own business since I was essentially 18, going out doing gigs, working as a sound engineer, doing contracts here, contracts there, touring, functions wedding all that kind of stuff I've, I've kind of been there done that with the music side so I've always run my own business and so it's always looking for the next bit of money to come in where where's that going to come from and I set up a music school because I found I realized that was the most regular amount of money coming in I also tried a few different other businesses like club nights and selling secondhand furniture and a few other things which didn't go very well because they weren't that much they weren't thought through I'm quite an impulsive person I have an idea I want to do it now <laughs> um, and don't plan so that's something I've, I've had to learn to do is to plan for the future. And I think it all comes down to planning wealth as well, kind of doing well in business and becoming wealthy. They require the same habits. So, yeah, going back to my this music school, it it was a business which I was looking to grow. I got oversubscribed as a piano teacher. Uh, yeah, kids love me, parents of kids love me, and because I, I would teach the classical stuff, but I'd also teach the fun stuff and jazz and how to write a song and a bit of tech. So it went down really well. And so what I did is I brought in another few teachers to teach my waiting list. And then we opened it up to other instruments. And I thought, well, this is quite good because I'm teaching, you know, 30 hours a week, 40 hours a week. I've got three or four other teachers teaching 20 hours a week each. And I'm, I'm not doing that work. I'm, I'm getting a profit on it. I'm just arranging everything. And it kind of dawned on me, actually, this is, a, this is a positive thing. This is the beginning of a business, beginning of a bit of passive income. And... Um, I actually went to an event to work out how to grow that business, how to do social media marketing and all this all, all other kind of jazz. Um, and there was a lady there, a lady called Jill Fielding, who stood up and talked about property investing and how you could do it without any of your own money. I was like, well, I haven't got much of that. In fact, I was about 40 grand worth in debt because I was you know, about to get married and all of that. Um, and... Um, now divorced just to put in context from that particular ex-wife but yeah so I, I kind of realized that I could do it without any money I could do it without that much time as well if I did things effectively and I'd always known that property was something I wanted to go into 
because I knew that wealthy people had property. So my, my idea at that time was, okay, I'm working with a few bands. One of them is going to get assigned. We're going to make it. I'm going to make all this money and then I'll put it in property. But it dawned on me, actually, that's the wrong way around. What I could do is actually build wealth using property as a vehicle. And then that gives me the freedom and the flexibility to create music on my own terms, which is essentially where we're, where we're at now. So I'm starting to get those opportunities, working with some world-class musicians and, and producers um, in the musical field that we're in. So I suppose the, the realisation of that, that kind of change of mindset came through education came through going to you know a conference seeing someone speak about it going on and you know spending a few days with with them and their teams and then do, then starting a, a journey of um, education and ongoing mentoring so i've had a mentor a coach ever since that day back in april 2015 so your passion has always been music and by going along to this conference with jill you found a way to fulfill your passion in music through property yeah exactly it was always that thing i wanted to go back there and i was property has kind of taken over but now it's kind of been this thing is that i've had 10 years of of music and essential it's essentially just looking for the next paycheck you know throughout that entire time setting up the music school then actually being quite comfortable and earning quite a bit through the music school and then um taking a step out of that music school still having a little bit of money coming in from it passively then selling it building portfolios going back to very little income again um, and then gradually building it up over the course of the last kind of six years so it's it's been a kind of a journey of ups and downs and and now we're very much on on the up which is fantastic and you said earlier that your beliefs around money you've managed to put systems in place so i'm really interested in that how did you do that and what you know sort of did you sort of open up bank accounts or what systems yeah so there's a book which i love called profit first by i think it's mike mccallowich or someone like that and it talks about how you pay yourself first essentially or you pay your profit first and it comes back to concepts in like the richest man of babylon um, about if you pay yourself first, and I think even Rich Dad Poor Dad talks about this, um, Robert yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, if you pay yourself first, then you become wealthier. And again, it's like you always, I said earlier, you always find a way to make it work. You always find a way to make ends meet um, because you either expand to your means or, or you contract um, to your means. You find money, you, you borrow money, and if you beg, borrow, steal, you don't steal, but you, know, you, you find a way through it and, and then you resolve it and, and then, then you grow. And for, for me, that concept of paying myself first was alien to me. And to be honest, actually, until until the last couple of years, I still wasn't paying myself first. Um, like I prioritise everyone else. I prioritise my investors. I prioritise the builders. I prioritise all these people. I realised I wasn't actually doing myself a service because I was setting up this business, but I wasn't actually getting paid to do it. I did not pay myself first. I was reinvesting all the profits, which meant everyone else got paid and I didn't. And money at the end, in the bank account at the end of the month. Whereas we've now turned it on its head and employed those concepts that they talk about in that book, Profit First, which essentially is to take a percentage, recommends like 10% of your turnover and you put it into your profit account and you set up separate bank accounts, one for your profit account, one for your tax, one for your VAT, one for your 
you know, and, and if you're doing this personally, you'd maybe have one for your holidays, one for your personal development, the education. So I'd say we're always investing in our in ourselves. Always a percentage or five percent of income goes towards developing ourselves. So and those little pots. You obviously got your non-negotiables, your essentials, which are your out your outgoings, and then but they but you pay yourself first, and then you contemplate all those outgoings. Because if you can't create a business or you can't live paying yourself the profit first, then you need to massively rethink what's going on. Re- rethink all those essentials. Are they actually non-negotiables, or you know, is it a nice to have? You know, do you have to have you know, Amazon Prime, Netflix, and Disney Plus? <laughs> so it's you know, little decisions like that that can have a compound effect to to you know, grow and obviously in the long term of course you can but when you're growing and you're you know, you've got to make sure you can have that that headroom and it does amazing things because then wealth starts to become attracted to you you become a different person because you feel wealthier and something which i always do is put 10 percent into my isa that's how i do it every single month into my isa and then invest that in you know, you know whatever i kind of feel like at the time with, with a kind of a base of like a footy tracker so kind of that's what i do and also pop into a pension which i can't and then actually go and touch but though that, that money is to be never touched that's the idea is it's to grow and grow and grow so when i'm not feeling particularly good i go into my eyes and i look at it and go oh i'm not feeling particularly wealthy i just go and look at it and go oh that's okay that's up 20 percent or that's you know it's okay all right this does work <laughs> That's really, really good because you need something, don't you? And it's not always the material things, it's, but it is seeing the physical balance in your investments going up. So would you say you're a, a long-term buy and hold investor, either in stocks and shares or in property? Or Yeah, I don't like to, uh, a bit of a hoarder. I don't like to let go. It takes me years and years and years to get rid of things sometimes. And so um, same with property. I've only ever sold one thing, which is which a plot of land where we've got planning and sold it. And um, we sold it because it was causing us grief. We just, yeah, couldn't be bothered with the, with the hassle of it. So we just got rid of it. And yeah, we very much buy, hold, look for rental income. That obviously creates a bit of a bit of a potential problem there because you've got, you know, you're trying to recycle cash through. So you're constantly needing capital. Whereas it's actually a question that I get asked um, quite often is if you would start again, would you do anything differently? And I would have started flipping property probably in my third year of investing because that would have released equity quicker rather than waiting for refinances and doing this and then being at the whim of the market and whim of the value and all of that. So we I mean, do everything we can to for everything to go to plan and, you know, eight out of, 80% of the time it's fine. And then the other 20% of the time we just, we roll with it. And what I love about property is that time is a healer. So if there's any issues today, those will resolve themselves in two years, in four years. And, five. and we're already seeing the result of that we had with our first investments, you know, our very first one we ever spent on it, but now we've pulled all the money out. So it took four years instead of you know, one year as we originally planned, but you know, it's fine because it's been yeah. cash flowing. It's, you know, yeah, it works. Mm. Brilliant. So you sort of mentioned about getting into property. Can you remember your first property deal? And Yeah. So actually that, that one I was just mentioned and, and the first one was a two bed bungalow. I bought it with my mum in Warrington. It were we bought it for one hundred five thousand, and it was an old person's home who died. It was a probate sale, 
and uh, very much in the 70s when we, when we got it. So we went in over Christmas 2015 and we smashed it all up to pieces, um, started putting it back together. We did, used a kind of a handyman on a day rate to help us, which was a big mistake. So didn't give any boundaries as to how many days it was going to take. We just said, yeah, that's fine. The day rate was fine. And then that meant that, um, yeah, and he, and he, he was a bit of a jack of all trades. So we, we learned a lesson there. Um, but probably cost us more than if we just got a contract to go in and do the whole lot um, in probably two or three weeks. Uh, probably took us about three months to do the whole thing. So we learned a lesson there. It was, but it's a great little property. Bought for 105, was revalued at 130 six months later. Okay. And now it's just been revalued about 100, 160, I think it was. Amazing. So, yeah, so it's great it's in the Northwest. It was good fundamentals when we bought it. So kind of getting that capital appreciation and cash flow for about £400 a month on a, on a buy to let. And I'm very, very happy to say that that has had not a single void. Like, I don't know how many landlords can say that they've had one property where there's been no, no voids. And this is without having a, a long lease on it it's just standard asts but we had our first tenant move in then we had so much interest in it that the one tenant moved out another tenant moved in the next day and then that tenant is just keeps you know keeps finding friends to move in when they move out and yeah so it's been let since yeah since february 2016 every single day till, till today so it's a really good deal, and uh, you know, because rents always came in, so in the value's gone. Yeah, up. it's been, it's been, it's been you know, a really good little deal. You know, I love buy to lets. You know, I, I, everything we do is about HMOs and co living on the whole. But I absolutely love buy to lets as well. They kind of set and forget, and they form a great, you know, breadth and base for your portfolio. A lot of people come to me and say, "Well, can I do HMOs first? And I say, "Well." It depends on how much of a, yeah how much experience you've got beforehand. You know, realistically, I'd always say you know learn and cut your teeth on a buy to let or two, just because there's so much to learn in property. You know, and you can go and do a course or training and, and or have a mentor, but you, when you're doing it is actually when you're when you're, you're those connections are being formed in the brain properly. You're like, oh, that's what they said. Oh, that's what's going to happen. I just remember when we did that that first deal, I got a phone call, an email from the solicitor saying, you just exchanged. And I was like, what, what happened? What did you just do? <laughs> it's like, what do you mean we've exchanged? Well, I haven't, I haven't, you know, I signed a contract a week ago, but I haven't done anything. And just this whole kind of concept of exchanging a contract and nothing really happens. It was a bit weird. But it's, uh, it's good. It's all, it's all works out in the end. And <laughs> what, what I know about you is that you're very creative. You're a very creative person. So, and, that, and I think that's a gift that you have. And how does that transform into business? Because, you know, the HMOs and the, the musician, the booking you, you know, the next level landlord. So how did that all come about? So uh, I, you know, I don't consider myself to be that creative. It's, it's a bit weird. I'm creative in my own way. As a musician, I much prefer to work with original music, so to work with other creatives. I find myself sometimes a facilitator for creatives, so having lots of creative people around me. But I do then, as I say, I do come up with loads of ideas, and my personality is that I'm a starter, so I will have an idea, I'll start something, and then then I'll just just won't finish it. So when I was writing music, I'll I'll be playing on the piano, like, oh, that's a really cool idea, and I'll start recording it, and I'll spend about an hour, an hour and a half, you know, just messing with it. And then I won't touch it again. And two years later, I'll find that and go, oh, that was a good idea. And play around with it a little bit more and then not, and then do nothing with it. 
And I suppose what property has done is say, well, I have to finish it because you can't start a property development and not finish it. But you know, the, the bit that I love is the creative bit of you know, f- you know, looking at a deal and going, oh, what is the potential here? I know there's potential. I'm not entirely sure how. So I work with a creative architect and work with the project managers. We have a, a team in-house, a four-person team that are just really good at finding deals, appraising deals and then putting offers out and then following them through. And that's the bit I love. It's kind of looking at it and, and uh, what is the potential? In fact, yeah, what I, where, where I kind of find myself working really well is in bringing out potential in deals, in other people. And so like HMOs works really well because you have, what is the maximum potential for this property? What can we do with it, which is going to give it maximum value for us, maximum value for the occupants? Um, so yeah, that's what I love to do. And so, so similarly with the music, I have to work with others that finish stuff off. So this, we're working on an album. We've been working on it for like four years. It's only like eight songs, <laughs> but it's very complex. There's lots of moving parts. You know, there's probably about 15, 16 musicians on it. Again, which is not that complex when I see some of the other musicians that I've worked with and what they're doing. They're doing it all day, every day. But you know, just working with some epic people that just know how to finish the stuff off. Working with project managers and builders that know how to finish stuff off. Interior designers that know how to finish stuff off. So, for example, the book that when some when i was actually in a, on a retreat and the coach said to me you're gonna write a book i was like okay and i can probably start a book finishing a book is going to be the tricky thing so i put my ideas down on paper brainstormed it all and then i said over christmas and it was um, not not last christmas christmas before i spent about two months on and off just writing and writing and writing so i've done the planning and done the thinking all it was was just getting it out so writing a book is actually quite easy because you it's the planning which is hard plan it the writing is just time it just takes time to get what's out of your head on paper and what i yeah because i was working with an editor so i I put this thing in place that i know if i work with an editor they will finish it for me i just need to get my ideas out so literally i wasn't thinking about how it was coming out what i was saying it was more about just getting it out there you give it to someone else and they turn it into something which then makes complete sense which is amazing it's an amazing skill of theirs so i had my first editor go through it and and added loads of really cool stuff i had about seventy thousand words and then i went to a publisher and they said well we want it to be about forty thousand words and i was like what (laughs) so it's actually it's actually easy to write a long book it's hard to write a short book because you have to be more concise, more clear on what you're doing. So I had to go through and I was working with a, with, with a business coach and he, he said my ideas weren't sexy enough yet. So I had to go through, rethink the ideas. And I already had the tenant first method, but I, I changed the way that I structured it and then went to the publisher and then they have a three-month process. You submit your ma- your manuscript. I think I got it down to about 50,000 words. And they just cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it, edit, about three edits. Uh, and then that was the final final version, which was then went out and got published in March this year, 2021. And that's, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And I think it's a, an excellent book. And it's really, you say you're not creative. I think you're very, very creative in terms of, you know, sort of the musician, the property, the team that you have around you and then sort of having the time to also share your ideas with other people so if if people want to obtain a copy of your book is it on amazon and 
Yep. So it's currently on Amazon. You can get it there. And I'm about to go into the studio to record the audio version as well. So that will be available probably in kind of the, the autumn time this year. And yeah, it's, it's, it's on Amazon. If anyone's really interested in, in getting a copy, they can always reach out to me and we'll send them a copy, not a problem. That's amazing. I think uh, you're such a giver in terms of, you know, wanting to share your knowledge. So uh, if people are interested, then they can contact yourself and, and you'll send them a copy of the book. Yeah, so they can just email team at the hmplatform.co.uk and um, then we'll, we'll send them out a copy. Yeah, no, I know you've, you've done that for our Property Millionaire Club and they've been absolutely astonished how many books you've sent out and that are personally signed as well, which is just unbelievable. I don't know where you find the time, for, but I really appreciate that. So thank you. Um, no problem. The, the signing is done over breakfast when I'm, that's my kind of Zen time, do my workout. Although that's being more interrupted by a child who's choosing to wake up earlier and earlier at the moment. So, yeah, so that's how I've been doing that. And the, and the team get them out. So I, I can't, yeah, we've got an amazing team around us, as you say. Yeah. So in order to give people a, a taste of the, the book, is there three tips or something that you have from the book or about creating wealth in general? Or more, I don't so, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I'll start with the book and, and the idea behind it first and foremost. So yeah. when I was writing the book, I talked about kind of the, the mechanics of it, but the thought process was, okay, so we've got this person. I, I was going to write about HMOs and co-living because that's what I'm passionate about. And that's what I've done. So I had case studies of what we've achieved and examples that I could just show you that this is what you could do. And I thought, okay, you've got this person who is a successful landlord. They have done developments. They've created uh, beautiful shared homes. They've got a business all their properties they perform well they profit well they provide an amazing service to their tenants and they have a business which thrives and i thought to myself okay so what is this person who is this person and what is it about them that makes them a success and uh, we'd always been we've been using this term next level hmo for quite a while to distinguish our product from everything else and say well actually we don't do hmos because an hmo is a technical thing it's you know definition in the housing act Whereas we want to say, well, we are different to an HMO. So we said we're next level HMOs. So we've been using that term for a while. And, and so someone said it um, off the cuff. He said, oh, you'd be a next level landlord. And I was like, huh. well, what, yeah, why couldn't people be a next level landlord, take their portfolio and what they do to the next level? So I thought, okay, so if that's the person, the person is a next level landlord. What, what is it about that person? What have they done? And what do they know that others don't? So, and I refined it and uh, I was talking about making my method, method sexier. Um, and this is how I made it sexier is, is to take what we call our tenant first method, where we put the tenants at the heart of everything that we do. So if, if we do that, then our business will just grow and grow and grow. Uh, and the tenant first method, is essentially five principles that will make someone an next level landlord. So which spell first F-I-R-S-T. So focus, they have focus on their business, their brand, their design blueprint, so that they know exactly uh, what they're creating before they go out there and do it. And they create a product which stands out from the crowd, which means that they're not going to suffer from competition. You know, when people say, oh, the market's saturated, the market's not saturated for these people because they're not creating an HMO, they're creating something different, which tenants clamber to kind of get, go into. Essentially, they're in the top 5% of all properties in the area. 
which is the bit of the market which always uh, always thrives. So you've got the focus, you've got the insight into the people that you're, you're letting to, the place you're investing in, the planning permissions you need. So we're a big advocate of planning and anyone that's following HMOs and how, how that market's going, it's becoming more regulated. There's more planning permissions coming in place. The new PD rights are removing the right to go to HMO when you do commercial conversions. So it's getting harder and harder. So we have to go through A3 planning. So we now expect to go through planning for every single HMO that we do. But that's a good thing for us because we get maximum value out of a deal. So, yep, so we have insight. There, the next level landlord will also be able to review and deliver projects. So they just know how to cost it up or they, and they have a team around them that's going to make sure that that goes right, that they can create great space they have a great architect great project manager great you know great contractor that they can just use and know how to analyze deals so they can review and deliver and then s for service the service-led approach and in the book i talk about this co-living approach uh, which are eight touch points eight things that if you do then you will have very few issues with your housemates and then a business that can thrive is the final bit so those five things focus insight review and delivery service and thrive those are the five principles that the next level landlord will employ in their business so that, that yeah their business will go to the next level and this is all with the focus around hmos but realistically you know i've been thinking about it and someone said to me the day that you could apply those principles to any business any any part of the property cycle or, or property strategy and you just tweak it for, for those bits so you know focus is the same insight is the same Review and delivery will be different depending on what you're doing. Having a service-led approach, that's the same. You just, again, apply it to who your end user is, who your customer is. And then thriving is all about systems, scalability, um, sustainability. And yeah, that's, so that that's in a nutshell, a bit of an insight into the book. No, that's definitely, I mean, you know, as you say, it's really clear when you explain it to somebody, but also it can be used in... Not just property, maybe other industries as well. So it's a really, really good, you know, some element that you've created. But you mentioned earlier about your daily routine, or you indicated that you know you're sort of very focused. For our listeners, could you sort of enlighten us on your daily routine as, as a property entrepreneur and author and a musician? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's I'm not naturally a normal a morning person, and the routine is easier, much, much easier in the summer months rather than in winter months. Yeah. So I would say I'm not very consistent in, in the winter months, but when, because I live on the South coast, it, it's great because we get early mornings quite early in the year. So waking up in the morning is very much my daughter, who's at the moment 10 months and ha- having her wake up and at like five o'clock or about half past five. And very often that's her up and awake, ready to go give her a bottle of milk, some breakfast, and then she's happy to happy. So me and my my partner you know, share the responsibility of looking after her, but also then doing doing a workout. So the first thing I do is go downstairs and, and do do a workout, which is maybe like half an hour, 40 minutes, and then 20 minutes of cardio every single day, whether that's hit yoga, running. And it's something which I, I because I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a start, not a finisher, and not necessarily it's, it's being consistent so I, I have a coach that helps me to ensure that i'm doing my routine on a regular basis so what that enables me to do is i just check in yeah yeah are you up yes i'm up and it's accountability so having 
someone else to you know, bounce off. So I used to do this with someone else whereby you know, at six o'clock every morning, you would text the other person. If you haven't got a text, you call them and say, are you up and about? say so you just say this is what i've committed to and you just keep going through that and and doing it for at least kind of 90 days because you need to form a new habit new habits form you know generally about 90 days so wake up in the morning morning routine you know if the weather's good that, that 20 minutes of cardio we could be go for a run come back affirmations as well kind of talking through out loud what it is that I, i'm really focusing on and you know, being a wealthy person so we're talking about here the gift of wealth like being a wealthy person starts inside you have to be wealthy first before yeah. actually money turns up people go i want to be i want to be wealthy it's like well you can't want to be you have to just to be wealthy yeah <laughs> you are wealthy today so if you're not wealthy today you're not going to be wealthy tomorrow this is a mindset shift and that is something which uh, i have to work on, on a daily basis because especially when you get to the end of the month you've got developments going on we've got staff to pay yeah you know, there's there's like zero money left for the bank account you're like i don't feel very wealthy but actually you have to say that i am wealthy and just a reminder okay money's coming back in again next month you know we've got a great team that go out there they make sales in our business we have rent that just comes in every single month and i used to worry that worry about voids and and, and having properties empty i don't worry about that so much because as a whole the money comes in and yes there's there's always a, something that you need to go and sort out and have a team that go and say well why is that room empty what's going on over here you know how can we fix this problem so i've got um, a team of problem solvers that can go in and do that and you know we we actually now because because of that that service-led approach we want you know we actually decided to take up in-house our own lettings so we, we're doing that as well yeah. but i know that's not nothing to do with the morning routine as you see i've gone off i've gone off on a tangent i started answering a question but i didn't finish it <laughs> no, I think it's a great answer. And what I'm interested, you know, what, what is your favourite affirmation that you that you have that you sort of maybe use a, a lot more than others? Because I'm a kind of all or nothing person. I've done exercise, like when I do exercise, I go all in. So I'll do CrossFit. I did CrossFit for a year until it broke me. I did a what do you call them? Kind of boot camps, and again, yeah. I did that until it broke me. I just keep pushing myself, pushing myself and not doing the number one thing that I need to do, which is stretch and work on flexibility. It's all about strength and the ego. Whereas actually what I've come to realize is that flexibility has to come first, strength and and you know, and the ego side, so the physique that you might want come second. So because I'm naturally quite I've got short hamstrings, I'm quite, you know, quite tense, you know, bending over, touching my toes is something that I, I generally can't do unless I'm working out or exercising and stretching. So my favorite affirmation is about being kind of impervious to to injury. So being injury free and kind of not the word invincible, but it's essentially, yeah, just being impervious to injury through being flexible. So I have an affirmation which, which in, in a kind of different way says that. Brilliant. So it's really good to see that you have a really good balance in life because, it, you know, a lot of property investors, myself included, I suppose, focus so much on creating, you know, the, the wealth and creating the properties and buying properties and they forget about the health and it's really good to see that you know you've got a great balance in, in many respects so is there a favorite quote that you share with people or that you have that's influenced you or that you 
there, there are a few quotes. I think, I can't remember the quote exactly, but Napoleon Hill in the in Think and Grow Rich talks a lot about masterminding and, and masterminding has been essentially the, at the heart of our success. So being part of masterminds with wealthy people, with people that are at the next step of their journey, the next level of their journey. So one thing that always sticks in my mind is, is about that mastermind principle where you have two or more people coming together in a spirit of of kind of harmony to have a, a unified goal. It creates that, that extra mastermind to that third, that extra person in the group, because you've got so many people, so many minds coming together that you actually create another person, which is that mastermind that helps you to solve problems and come together. So that's one thing that's always empowered me. But also one I really like is that Commitment is saying the thing, hang on, how's it go? Commitment is doing the thing that you said you were going to do long after the mood you said it in has left you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, so that one is hard. So again, that again, it comes to me every morning. It's like I committed to waking up and doing the exercise. I don't feel like getting up and doing the exercise. It was like this morning, I, I, I do my... 20 minute and I thought I'll go and do a run because because immediately my daughter was starting to crawl around the lounge I was like I'm not going to get any yoga done or or anything else here so <laughs> I, I um let her and my partner um say that I went, to, went out of the house I didn't really want to do it but I left the house weather was glorious ran for a kilometer and I then got into the swing of it I was like actually you know, that first kilometer was hard but then I was only going to go out and do like three kilometers and then I ended up doing five and actually kind of sprinting the last bit because I was like actually I'm really into this now and so it's that you know the you need to get yourself into the state for be ready to be wealthy to really ready to be successful whether that's exercise whether that's music music is a massive part in getting you into the right mindset and it's something that again i don't do enough because a lot of the time i'm in meetings i'm on zoom so there isn't that much music around but getting into the zone to be creative to write um an article um or to, you know, because I write articles all, all the time and just coming up with new ideas. Having some a good go-to playlist can really help. I think that's a really good tip that you've given there in terms of getting in the right mindset for success to come and taking the opportunities as they present. And so, yeah, being in the mind right mindset and being healthy is so, so important. Where do you see the future going? Because you've done so much in such a short amount of time and I'm not just saying this I truly have respect for you because of the value that you added on our zoom meeting a few weeks ago you know I'd love to write a book and you know here you know you came along into my life at the right time and you go you know I'm a property investor you know I've done this I'm doing my exercise and you know I've managed to find time to write a book and it's really I suppose inspiring because you're saying well you're not a finisher but uh, the book is out, finished, published, and doing really well. So I'm really interested to see how you see where, where is the future now and what else do you want to accomplish? It's a good question. So I've got quite a lot that we want to do. So I suppose just to clarify what exactly I do, because I know we talked a bit, quite a bit about me, but Please, not about yeah. what, what, we, what we do. I essentially wear three hats. The first hat is uh, as a developer 
So Scott Baker Properties is the company that I run with my business partner, Niall Scott, and we develop HMOs and co-living properties. So we, we, we do what we do, we practice what we preach, and that is all designed to push the quality of shared living up across the UK. Our little bit of that is on the south coast. We've identified six towns that we're working in where our aim is to excuse me, is to grow um, the portfolio by 750 units, of which we're going to sell some. So we're actually now sourcing properties for others as well, from buy to lets and HMOs in, in, a, in a few different regions in the UK. Um, and what that does is enable us to have a direct impact on the quality of accommodation for tenants. So again, having that tenant first men, uh, mentality, if we create the thing that's needed, that's wanted, then the business then works really well. So um, Skullbaker Properties is doing that. So we have a five-year growth plan that we're currently implementing and getting deals and kind of offers out there and deals accepted, which is great. Then my second hat is the HMO platform, which is our coaching and training service where we basically have a done with you service. So we're, we're teaching people based on the principles in the book, but we're also having masterminds where we're helping people to you know, have very clear actions on what they're doing in their own journeys. Or adventures. I like to call them property adventures rather than journeys, because it is an adventure, uh, and you know access to our teams and all of that. So we open up everything for our clients. We open up everything and we show them what we do and we work with them to implement it themselves. So at the end of working with someone for a year, they've got you know property to be proud of. And then the third thing, which I briefly mentioned, is as a um, management agent. So as a co-living operator. So co-home is our is, is our new come out of lockdown business i've only i've only met two of my co-founders there are seven of us that have started this business i've only met two of them all the others are on zoom and one of them's you know is a digital nomad um, so we have meetings she's in portugal she's in the states right now she's been in the uk and and she's basically heads up our customer experience part which is the key for running what we think is is the future of a successful hmo business which is a customer service so that's the first person that we brought in um, when we identified this is how we're going to grow this business so co-home uh, currently operates in the midlands london and the south coast and we're growing so our, our growth plans are to be nationwide or more nationwide over the next two years my focus at the moment is overseeing the growth of our own portfolio and niall runs that with with the development team and uh, it, it just is just going really well and working with some amazing JV partners and investors that invest in that business to work with a select number of clients so that they can grow their own portfolios, but also, because I do quite a lot of work working with clients, but also to really grow the management business. So we're currently actively looking for um, people that have got good size or HMOs that really want to get into co-living. So those people, you know, act- actively at the moment in the Midlands, kind of Birmingham, Coventry areas and South Coast from Southampton through to kind of Eastbourne and South, Southwest London. So, but again, growing, growing within London. So those are the areas we're actually growing and soon to be in the Northwest and the Northeast. So it's something which um, I'm very passionate about. Beyond that, then, yeah, the future's bright. I've got some plans, but I think for that that's more for, for, for me because you never know plans change and, in a few years, but the next five years is quite clear how our business is going to grow. So it's uh, the next five years is a real growth area in terms of setting the foundations up to be able to go national and, you know, sort of really secure long-term wealth for your family as well as your 
uh, and provide quality accommodation. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we've we've spent five years setting up the foundations of our own development business, which now just works really nicely. We spent the last um, eighteen months setting up the foundations of our coaching business, which is now delivering projects for our clients, which is fantastic. And now, as you say, we're building the foundations um, of this management business, which in in two years' time is going to be probably the nation's leader in managing co-living HMOs uh, across the UK. So if we bring it back to the wealth question, the portfolio is something which is a yeah, it's a legacy builder. Yes. So my part in that business is is to grow wealth, is to give that to my kids um, is to provide capital, which I can then also grow my own family portfolio because we have a family portfolio as well, which we've built and will continue to build as as we create um, more wealth in the development business. And then through helping others, then we can become wealthier as other people are becoming wealthier, which is a real positive. And then on the, on the management side, we can create a wealthier environment for our housemates. So if they can live yeah. in an amazing space, and help them, give them opportunities, give them a better living experience. It can really help their you know, their mindset, their, their sense of well-being, and that's a massive thing, which is just so at the heart of what we do. So to make sure that housemate well-being is is key. So yeah, it's really exciting times. No, and it's creating that environment for people where they've got a lovely home to live in that must be really rewarding as well mustn't it to be able to go you know we're proud i mean there are you're saying next level landlords there are landlords of the past in the 1970s who you still see their properties and you think how do people live there but there's a lot of change going on for you isn't there so yeah definitely is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or that you you know sort of feel that would, would be of benefit i mean you've added so much value today and i know you uh, you've got your own podcast as well, haven't you? Yes, yes, we do. So myself and Niall from Scott Baker Properties and also a really good friend of one of our best mates, Jo Lightfoot. She's a, a very much into mindset and wealth coaching and basically being someone being the best of themselves and bringing, bringing all the, she puts it like this, but bringing the, all the colours of that person's rainbow. So, so for me, it's the music, the property, the you know, everything coming together that building of community and building of great business. And, and the three of us came together as a, a mini community, a mini mastermind. We always used to talk about uh, property over a bottle of wine and talk about the stories that you, you wouldn't hear, like that's you know, a property training. You wouldn't hear, you know, it's something you don't talk about. And so we would just have, have a little kind of compare of notes of how things were going in our businesses. And we thought, well, actually, this is really interesting. Why don't we put a microphone in front of it? And uh, we don't have to have a bottle of wine, but sometimes we do when we record. And uh, it was getting you know stories out there. So how, how did you know what happens with, with tenants? What happens with investors? You know, dealing with you know, builders, all of that. And from our personal experience, and we did a whole series of episodes, just the three of us. And then we then started to get guests in after the lockdown last year. Uh, and we've had you know, loads of guests coming in. And so yeah, the podcast is called Property Jam. It's where we jam about everything property. And our tagline is it's the human side of property. So it's the antithesis to every other property podcast out there. You're not guaranteed to learn something, but actually you will always learn something. Yeah, and, no, it's and amazing. And gather from experience, yeah. 
It's a really great name, and I think that it's it's different to many of the podcasts that are out there. So I'm sure our listeners will check that out as well. Is yeah. there anything else you'd like to share apart from the? I mean, you've added so much value to me personally, as well as I know to the people who will listen. But no, I, I I appreciate that. I think that my final thought is probably something which I talk about in the book, which is is the first. So the most important step along the road to success is the first one. Yes. So it's about actually comes back to uh, comes back to the, the running. You know, is that first kilometer was the hardest one this morning, but then actually the the other foot is actually quite easy. You just just keep going. You build up momentum. You get into a rhythm. So it's the same thing with um, anything in in like wealth creation. I actually keep seeing this post come up from Warren Buffett saying the first 100,000 that you make is the hardest and then it just gets easier from then in. I think it's exact, It's exactly right. You know, yes. your, your first few properties are the hardest. You know, probably your first three, you know, two, three, four properties are the hardest and it just gets easier and easier because you grow as a person, you, your understanding grows, you build momentum and are things going to go swimmingly? No, things are going to you know fall off the wagon, things are going to go wrong, but it's, yeah, there is no such thing as failure. Um, a failure is just the next lesson that you yeah. need to learn that's been put in your way to overcome. And now when little things go wrong, I used to really stress about them, but now I, I, I don't because you know, I stress about the big things. But even those I, I'm not as phased by because like, okay, well, that didn't go the way that we planned. But that's okay because actually it means that we've now got this opportunity to go and do this. So what is the opportunity that this this has happened? Is it do we go and go further with that problem and solve it, or is that not going right? And kind of like almost like the universe's way of saying you go in the wrong way, turn around and go that way. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I uh, I think Brian Tracy, one of the American great yeah. you know educators, I think that you know, and he was that there was a, a I saw a clip of his the other day, and that was the first million is is the hardest but the second million is inevitable it will come as long as the first one so it's exactly what you're saying is that once you get over the first three or four properties the rest is just it, it will just happen because then you're involved in the flow so yeah i massively agree in fact something that i i used to say i haven't said this in a while but you know i i firmly believe that wealth is a choice so you can choose to be wealthy. So if you want to have you know, money in your life and wealth in your life, then first of all, you've got to choose that path. And then again, success will be that choice. And you can choose to keep going or you can choose to stop. You can choose exactly what you want um, in your life. So that's my final word. Yeah, wealth is a choice. Thank you so much, Matt, for your time today, for coming on to not just this podcast, but you know, you've, you've come and helped us with the Property Millionaire Mastermind. And I hope, you know, we can continue to work together. But again, thank you so much for adding such an insight into your background. I really feel that you are creative and that you've given me so many inspirations today. So, you know, I really thank you. And we'll speak very soon. No problem. Thank you so much, Sunil. Thank you. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gift of Wealth podcast. Stay connected with us directly through www.giftofwealth.co.uk. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email at info at And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Until next time, stay with a happy heart.